Welcome to The Science and the Sacred. I'm your host, Sinead Brophy, and in this podcast, we will cover both the physiology and the spirituality of what it means to be a cyclical being. I'd love to invite you, my health-conscious and spiritually curious friend, to dive deep with me as we embrace the power of cyclical self-care to nourish our minds, bodies, and souls. Hi everyone, welcome to episode four of The Science and the Sacred with me, Sinead Brophy. So originally I planned this episode to be all about cycle tracking, fertility awareness, and then kind of looking at the differences between menstrual cycle awareness versus um, or the physiological side of, of um, cycle tracking and fertility awareness. They are getting shifted to next month because, you know, as some of you might have known, if you're following me on Instagram, my life kind of flipped upside down a few weeks ago where I discovered that I actually had an ectopic pregnancy. So I decided to use these next few episodes to actually talk about ectopic pregnancy, to talk about my experience of that and some of the tools that I have been finding useful over the past month for making sure I'm looking after myself and all of that. Obviously, it's going to be a very sensitive topic. So if it's uncomfortable for anyone to listen to, you know, please feel free to, you know, not listen to these episodes and maybe maybe skip forward ahead uh, to to next month to when I'll be talking about cycle tracking. The reason that I am talking about this and talking about my own experience is I think it's really important to talk about it. Um, Not only pregnancy loss and pregnancy release, which I learned through my conversation with Kitty McGuire, who we'll be hearing from later on in the month um, about the difference of those two words. So pregnancy loss signifies that it wasn't a, a... I guess, conscious decision. It was something that that happened where pregnancy release is a more inclusive term to include pregnancy loss, such as miscarriage, you know, ectopic pregnancy, but it also includes termination. And I actually think it's a really important inclusion. I would have always used pregnancy loss to include all of those, but I actually would agree with with Kitty's point that pregnancy release is a more inclusive term. So I'll use those two terms interchangeably. Um, In my scenario, it was, a loss and um, I we've been trying to conceive and you know I'll kind of go go through how it all happened and the symptoms that I was having however we did initially think I was miscarrying and then thankfully through the checkups that I had to go through with the hospital discovered that actually it was an ectopic pregnancy so that's what allowed me to make sure that I was healthy and happy and get treatment for that well I wouldn't say happy allowed me to be healthy and you know not in any great risk for my life or for my health and so yeah I guess many of you who might be listening to this are now probably googling (laughs) what an ectopic pregnancy is some of you might know it some of you may not and it's something that actually affects according to HSE 1 in 18 women which I was not aware of I knew obviously that miscarriage was was quite high and I think as far as I know the numbers at the moment that are reported are you know, I think it's one in four. I'm sure that number in reality is probably higher with people who maybe didn't realise they were pregnant um, or maybe didn't go into to their GP, but it's reported at, at um, one, one in four people experience a miscarriage. So it's one in 80 experience ectopic pregnancy. And ectopic pregnancy is where a fertilised egg, so sperm and egg meat, normally that happens in the fallopian tubes, Instead of the fallopian, sorry, instead of the fertilized egg traveling down the fallopian tube and then tube and then embedding into the uterine lining, which is where it's going to, you know, have space to grow, it's going to get access to the nutrients that are there in the uterine lining, which is what the purpose of the uterine lining is when we bleed. 
It's the build up of that tissue, that blood supply. That's all in preparation for um, egg implanting in the uterine in uterine lining, which then you know develops placenta, et cetera, et cetera. What can happen in the case of an ectopic pregnancy is that that fertilized egg actually implants somewhere outside the uterine lining, outside the womb. Most of the time, it's in the fallopian tube. It can also implant, say, in your ovary, um, your cervix, neck of your womb, also outside your abdomen, which I suppose is very rare according to the HSE. Mine was on my ovary, um, according to the sonographer who, who was doing the ultrasound on me. She actually showed it to me, which was pretty mad. <laughs> it was a... a bittersweet experience I guess kind of seeing my embryo attached to my ovary which is not what you're expecting to see but for me anyway I find that incredibly useful to be like okay well that's where it is that's what's happening and I kind of have that image I guess of being like right well you know that wasn't going to be a viable pregnancy and this is the the thing that happens particularly in the, the sloping tube so well actually well anywhere there's there's not going to be enough blood supply the pregnancy isn't going to be, be able to progress so it's not it's not a viable pregnancy. It's not going to be able to to come to term in any sense of the word. But what's most important is that it's actually classed as a medical emergency because there is a very high risk if that embryo keeps developing, which it does for a lot of people, is that there is um risk of it rupturing. So rupturing your fallopian tube and then hemorrhaging, all of this. So if it is a medical emergency, um, and I think it's really important that people know the symptoms because. I like to think that I am up to speed on women's health and I actually didn't know all of the symptoms and actually, not as I gaslighted myself, but I put those symptoms down to other things that I might experience, such as IBS and pelvic floor spasms, which are two things that I can experience. Um, and also the fact that it was my first pregnancy and I had absolutely no idea what a pregnancy feels like, nor did I know what a miscarriage feels like. So I thought everything that I was feeling was normal. It wasn't. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so that's what an ectopic pregnancy is. So it's when that fertilized egg implants somewhere outside the uterine lining, outside of the uterus. Most commonly fallopian tube, but can be other places such as the cervix, ovary, and also inside your abdomen. So pulling now from HSE, but also from the NHS with regards to, to the symptoms, if you have pain in your tummy, especially unilaterally, which means down one side. So it's not going across, it's going down one side. Any pain when you're urinating, when you're going to the bathroom, when you're pooing, an upset stomach or a diarrhea. And if you have any vaginal bleeding or a brown watery discharge, constant pain on your tip of your shoulder, and which for me, I definitely knew about because I always thought that, that was such an unusual one to have. Um, and then, you know, in combination with all of those, a confirmed pregnancy test and or a missed, missed period. And that's obviously confirming that you are, I guess, pregnant, but that the fertilized egg hasn't implanted where it is, where it's meant to be. So they're, they're the, the symptoms. So you can have any of those. You can have some of those. Some people actually experience no symptoms at all, which is important to know as well. Um, but it's really, really important that if you have any severe or sudden sharp pain in your stomach, in your tummy, if you start feeling really dizzy, if you collapse, uh, if you start feeling unwell, unwell or you're pale or you're cold or clammy, any of these symptoms, they're a really kind of big warning sign. So it's really important that you make sure that you go to the emergency department. The reason being that there are signs and symptoms of, of hemorrhaging. And so you might have had your fallopian tube rupture and under hemorrhaging. So for me, I had some of these symptoms. I didn't have the 
any of the extreme symptoms because I didn't rupture. Perhaps that's because it's on my ovary. I'm not sure that hasn't been medically confirmed. So massive asterisks on that insofar as you not take any of what I'm saying as medical advice or diagnoses or anything like that. This is literally just talking about how I have come across and learned everything that kind of has explained the symptoms that, that I felt. So I didn't have any rupturing. Maybe that's because of where it was and that there's more space around the ovary for it to expand rather than being in the floating tube, which is incredibly narrow. And the training that I did kind of explained to us it's about the size of the spaghetti strand. So it's incredibly, incredibly narrow. So obviously if that embryo is growing within that space, there's not going to be much space um, there for it to stretch. And it's not like the, the uterus, which is de- developed or designed, I should say, to expand and grow with the growing embryo and then you know, for you to, to kind of develop pregnancy. So I didn't have any of those. However, what I did have was pain in my tummy down one side, pain when I was going to the bathroom. And I was feeling kind of, I remember feeling dizzy one time in the gym. So yeah, so I just think it's really important because I think if I'd known about this, I would have brought them up with my my doctor when I was going in for my initial checks. I will go through how it all happened and how I explained it, but I knew that I was pregnant really, really quickly. Three weeks, which is, you know, going off the kind of pregnancy weeks, which means it's week one of when your period starts. So week three, essentially, I was one week after conception, if even, uh, was when I found out I was pregnant. So I knew really, really early on. So I was in the doctors quite early, um, but... As far as I was told, you know, it's not really common to get your first scan until maybe your week 12, week 14. Some people choose to go for ones before that. And if you're going with the private healthcare system, you might get offered one before that as well. But for me, I wasn't going to, you know, be getting one unless I was um, paying for one privately. So, yeah. So, essentially, Craig and I had decided to, to try for a baby. We both knew that it was something we wanted. We both felt like we were ready. And I guess, you know, with any kind of fertility journey you've absolutely no idea what's going to happen so we just thought why don't we start now we have a couple of years you know that we're kind of happy for whatever to happen to happen and so we weren't leaving it in our minds to the end of when we were we're kind of ready it also meant that for me that I was on I guess the kind of still younger side of trying to conceive which from a fertility point of view and from an egg quality and from an egg reserve point of view is all a lot positive. Again, from his point of view, being under 40, your sperm quality is better. Just, it was just, it was the right decision for us. And so we started in March, April. We were kind of like loosey-goosey with it. It's definitely a strange experience. And originally I had planned to do an episode on that. And I still might do it um, on about whole, that whole decision-making process of this deciding to try and get pregnant because it's a very strange experience because you're so consciously aware that your life potentially could change forever regardless of of what happens and you know it's this big milestone that sometimes some people don't have that conscious decision that just happens or maybe they go into it and they're not aware of it but for me I was really aware of it and I was so aware of how our lives could change so I'll definitely talk about it on on another episode but it was really exciting um, and I knew kind of deep down my intuition that it was the the right thing for us to start start trying so March April we kind of started trying being kind of a bit lazy-goosy with it but May was when we were like okay you know uh, this is when where we're going to go and 
we both kind of had in our head for some reason I had made in my head always that that was when we were going to conceive and Craig had always thought in Spain he's like well I don't know why but he's like I always just think we're going to and um, you're going to end up getting pregnant when we're in Spain so we were actually on holidays so we were like I'm little little with them but yeah so we were we were in Spain and we ended up conceiving and we were there for about 10 days so when we were coming home I started getting really just before we were coming home I think it was I started getting really bad pains in my abdomen and in my pelvic floor as well now I'd been in Spain I've been drinking a lot of wine uh, I'd been eating which by the way is not really recommended if you are trying to conceive but I think for me I'd we'd had two months where I hadn't gotten pregnant and I was like oh is it gonna happen is it not I'm just gonna try and be relaxed and kind of enjoy this um but anyway it ended up happening but ideally you're not drinking when you are trying to conceive just because you know no alcohol is is really good for for any uh fetal development but I was drinking <laughs> That's got Spain state. I was having wine when I was in Spain. And I was really eating a lot of foods that can slayer up some of my digestive issues. So for me, a balanced approach to food generally works very well. But if I've been having alcohol, if I've been having um quite fatty foods, which in Spain, you know, all those gorgeous chorizo and all this kind of deep fried and the tans bravas and all, all that sort of stuff. I love it, but my stomach doesn't love it. Same with things like pastries, croissants, stuff like that. So or mine, I guess, quote unquote, normal food, I wouldn't really be including that most of the time because they can flare up my, my stomach issues. But when you're in holidays, you know, we're like, I want to enjoy the good food, which I'm entitled to. But I probably enjoyed it maybe a little bit too much. So anyway, I thought it was all down to, to IBS. And what can happen for me is I also have a hypertonic pelvic floor, which means it's overactive. So I get pelvic floor spasms. Now, potentially, is this endometriosis I don't know. Pelvic floor physios have recommended I go and get it looked at. But for the most part, I can manage it quite well. Again, if I'm managing my stress, if I'm managing what I'm eating, I don't tend to get flare-ups. But when I get a flare-up, it feels like, and apologies for being graphic here, but it feels like I'm getting stabbed in my perineum with a piece of glass. That's what it feels like. So it is sore, obviously, and... It's, it's it's like a spasm and it comes on and it's really painful and then it kind of uh, releases and I can kind of go through maybe a few days where it's quite like that and then it can kind of relax. Again, normally stress, normally alcohol, normally what I'm eating, all of these things tend to kind of bring this on. So we were flying home, I was getting these symptoms, the pelvic floor symptoms in fairness were actually quite strong now that I think back to it, as was the pain. And classic me, I was just like, it's fine and came back home and I was working that Saturday. I was resting all Friday and I was getting a bit worried about it. I was like, my stomach is so sore. It's so bloated. Like, it's really uncomfortable. And I kind of went through the weekend. I didn't want to go to Amy, which again, don't take my medical advice. This probably should have gone. I should probably should have gone to Amy, but I didn't. And I booked in for a doctor's appointment first thing on the Monday and I went. By that stage, it had kind of calmed down. But I was worried it was like appendicitis. And, you know, what is it? Is it an impact colon? And I don't know what's going on. We turned up, the doctor kind of, you know, went through it all and was like, look, it sounds like what you think it is, that it's maybe your IBS. We'll just kind of keep a, a thing, uh, I guess, an eye on it. And then I just walked away and was like, oh, it's just a flare above my IBS um, or my upset stomach. And in hindsight, it was probably the embryo implanting, which was causing me a lot of pain. Again, when I think about the anatomy, it was all down my right side. 
not really where my descending colon is. So, but I was like, oh, it's definitely related to, you know, being backed up and, you know, having the pelvic floor spasm and all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of went on with it and I was having pain. So that was when I was just back from Spain. So I was li- literally had just, just conceived. And then a week after that, still getting pain, still a little bit of discomfort when I was going to the bathroom, but not, not crazy. Like it was very manageable. It was kind of like, okay, I just need to book in for a pelvic floor. And I kept being like, I need to book in for a pelvic floor exam because I'm obviously still hypertonic. It's a bit sore when I'm going to the bathroom and you know, it's not great. Completely ignored it, which the time you think you're doing the right thing, you know, it was just like, oh, I can just book in for a pelvic floor. I can just book in for a pelvic floor. But we were going away for Craig, my husband's, uh, his granddad's 80th. So we just got back from Spain the next week we're going away. So it's like, right, I'll do it the week after. And because we were going away for a weekend, I was like, right, okay. I was kind of drinking in Spain and whole, like, better make sure I'm either pregnant or not pregnant now, even though it's kind of early days, I might not show up in the pregnancy test, but I'll go get an early pregnancy, you know, one of the sensitive ones and see where we're at. So it was kind of a real, like, you know, well, oh, we'll just give it a go, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of decided in May, right, I'm just going to enjoy this process rather than being like, oh my God, it didn't work first month. What's wrong? I was like, I'm just going to have the fun with this. So, but I was like, I'll grab a pregnancy test. It'll be fine. We're packing the bags. All good. Did the pregnancy test and it was positive. And honestly, it was probably the happiest moment of my life. It was just, it was such a glorious weekend, but I know I didn't want to be drinking uh, if we're going to be down for it. So you're doing that whole like, no, I'm just, we're trying to be the don't want to drink moment, which was actually true up until ironically May. Um, and yeah, so I found out we were pregnant. That was on the 26th of May. And then when we got back, did another pregnancy test. And I was like, okay, it's it's positive. So we should go to the doctor. And at this point, I was seeing a different doctor in the same surgery. It just didn't really cross my mind. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't flagged in my, um, my notes. I don't really know how the system works. But no one asked me anything about it. I didn't really think to ask anything of it. In my mind ectopic pregnancy is only when you were having the shoulder pain incorrect that was a misconception by Sinead Brophy so I was like well it's definitely not that it's just like my pelvic floor spasm and I remember thinking at one stage maybe the week later uh, after I'd been to the GP being like oh should I be worried so it's kind of the sores it's just my uterus expanding like you know, it definitely felt fuller because obviously my uterine line was building up and I'm, I'm very in tune with how my body feels. So I could feel that that was happening in my womb. And I know that sounds crazy, but maybe anyone who's been through that or maybe who really feels the heaviness of the womb just before they bleed gets what I'm talking about. That's what I was feeling. So I was like, is this just maybe expanding? Mm, I think it's okay. Again, I've never been pregnant. I don't know what it feels like. So I was like, I think it's, I think it's all right. And again, from my own, I guess, anecdotal experience of working with women who are pregnant, normally that's only after the week 10, 12, 14, 16 stage. You know, it's never in the the early, early week. So I'd know even anecdotal things to talk about or to refer back to. So it's like, it must be, must be normal. And then it was the weekend in June and I remember it being still sore. I was like, oh, this is weird. But I'd gone, started going back to the gym. We'd obviously been training through Spain. But I've been kind of like taking it handy. I hadn't really been doing much. So we've gone back to the gym. So I was like, right, maybe it's my hip flexor. Again, past issue with my right hip flexor that I would have had a lot of pain on that side. You know, hip flexor kind of attaches all the way to your spine. So it can be quite deep. I just thought it was my right hip flexor. I was like, okay, it's probably pelvic floor hip flexor. All of those things tend to flare up at the same time. 
So in my head, all of this made sense. Like it was all fitted in perfectly with symptoms I'd experienced throughout my life, really. Um, but it wasn't. <laughs> I remember going to the gym on the Saturday morning and it was quite hot. And getting really kind of like out of breath and a bit faint. And I kind of was like panicking a little bit. And um, actually at the time it was my brother-in-law who was coaching me. And I had to him early because I was just like, I was like, I'm actually just feeling a bit like, oh. And he was like, oh, great. Oh, it's great news. But also, you know, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I think maybe it's just me adjusting, you know, because your breathing rate goes up, your body temperature goes up, you know, like everything's changing in those early few days. So again, I put it down to that. And I remember thinking around then being like, Oh God, is this guy hitting some of the criteria of a topic? And then I was like, no, but I don't have the shoulder pain. It must be fine. <laughs> um, and then on Sunday, very sadly, I started to spot this. Again, when I look at the list with the HSC and the NHS, it was kind of that brain watery discharge. And I was like, oh, no. Like, oh, you know, you just know. I was like, I don't think it's good. Um, and I was with one of my very good friends at the time, which was excellent. I was like, kind of rely on her. She didn't know, but in telling her, and I was like, I'm really just nervous about this. But I went back to the see Greg and I was with him and we were like, I was like, this is happening. And, you know, and then we went out for dinner and I was actually meeting friends for dinner and he was grabbing something to eat beforehand and I started bleeding in the bathroom and I was like, oh God, I was like, I think this is, this is it. So, and I went through the whole whole thing one day came and you know it was it was uh it was definitely a shedding of my uterine lining let's call it and I have never been so devastated in my whole entire life I'm I guess very lucky in my life where I haven't lost anyone before you know my grandparents have passed but they were older and it's the way of the world and it's incredibly sad but there's, I guess, a distance and maybe a like natural order, quote unquote, of things where, you know, you get to a certain age and kind of somewhat expected that you will, will pass. That grief that I felt on Monday was horrific, like horrific. I literally, I, I had, like I held, held is the only word to describe. My neighbors were probably like, what is happening? Um, we went into the emergency department. They took my blood, did a scan did an internal check and they were like you know you can see here in the ultrasound that you can see the uterine lining there was space in my uterus as well but they're like there's no there's no sac they're like most likely it is a pregnancy loss but we can't confirm they were like you need to make sure you're coming back every few days to get your bloods checked and what they're looking for your blood's getting checked is your hcg your beta hcg which is your pregnancy hormone i hate Hate with a capital H getting my bloods done. Weird phobia that I have. Ironically, I wanted to be a pathologist when I was younger and like a, sorry, forensic scientist that I wanted to, not a pathologist, thank God, but a forensic scientist. Like I was into all of the blood splatter. I still love crime books and thrillers and all that stuff. I find that whole, you know, really, really interesting. But I think once I got older, I was like, oh, I see where the blood's coming from. And I was like, not for me. So I hate it. And they're like, you're going to have to come in. Everything was like three days or two days to get your bloods done. What? You have to come in every two days to get my bloods done. So you're going through this whole emotional experience of, you know, you just being on this absolute high. Like I was like, you know, 
people talk about being slow and I guess, you know, I talk about the cyclical wisdom a lot and doing the Celtic wheel with and Mary Kennedy. And she talks about being in that summer energy, that solar energy, just like everything's in flow. And I felt that. I felt that the week before I, well, I thought I was miscarrying. And I was like, it's all falling into place. And I was like, this is beautiful. It's all like everything just seemed to be like flotting into place. Various things in my life were just, you know, falling into. And then it was like, only gone. You're emotionally processing all of that. And then you're that you have to go in every two days or three days or whatever it is to get your bloods done. And I was like cherry on top for me. I was like, I really, really don't like it. Anyway, was doing it and thank God I was doing it because I was like, they're telling me it's important. It's obviously important for a reason. You know, I was going back in. My bloods weren't really dropping at all. Like they weren't going up, which means it wasn't it wasn't progressing. Uh, but it wasn't going down. So essentially they're using the bloods to make sure that there is no progressing pregnancy happening. I've now also realized that they do it as a way to make sure that you know there's not an ectopic pregnancy happening that that hasn't been spotted or that maybe there's a bit of tissue left that's still kind of you know developing all this kind of stuff so bad festival which now when i think about it realizing i didn't know i couldn't do any of these things so i went to a festival i uh, had a really good time and my phone that's anyone who knows me knows that my phone fell down a portaloon so that was like incredibly anxiety inducing amidst everything that was happening it was kind of you know, this release that was supposed to have for the weekend didn't really turn into a release and I'd come back and then I was getting a phone and it was just all a bit chaotic. Um, but I had a great time and I'm really glad that I did. And again, did a training session on Monday, which when I think about it, um, with the risk of rupture, like, my God, I was so touch wood. I was, I, like, I'm saying this with a smile on my face, but obviously I've processed all of this and I've become to a lot of therapy. Um, but yes, yeah, like, I was so lucky. I was just so, so lucky that nothing happened. I thought I didn't rupture or hemorrhage. So I went in on a Tuesday then, get my bloods done again. Because they were like, look, it still hasn't dropped. Need to come back in. This is about a week and a bit later. Like this is a Tuesday, pretty much a week, um, week and a day. And I went in and we were getting an ultrasound. And Craig had been with with at all the other appointments. But both of us were naively like, eh? Rand, we know what's happened let's just move on take these boxes of the ultrasound and the bloods and just get on with our lives and grieve but just you know kind of put all the medical side of it behind us so he wasn't there with me which i was was i don't know probably good or bad thing i'm not sure and um, so i was in getting the ultrasound and it was a transvaginal ultrasound rather than a on on the kind of top of my abdomen. So they can see a lot more as far as I'm aware from, from the transvaginal uh, ultrasound. And when she was doing it, I also have had not great experiences with regards to getting coils removed and um, treatment on my cervix for precancerous cells. So I get really triggered with it. Like my logical brain is like, it's going to be cool. You're going to be so fine. You know, this is just good for your health. And then the minute like I'm getting a, an internal exam, I'm like, like freak out. So I was anxious already. And she was, you know, putting the, the ultrasound in and was moving it around. She's like, and I felt this pain just radiate up to where I'd been fe- feeling pain the kind of previous weeks. And I was like, God, it's so, so sore. I was like, oh my God, what is that? 
she's like, mm, okay, yeah, you know, we're just going to be rude. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you're going to have to get you to relax and everything. She's this, this, and this, and everything. And then she was like, well, I knew, I just knew, I knew again with the pain. And I think if there's anything to learn from this, like just trust your gut on this stuff. Like I knew I had all of these signs along the way and I just didn't, I was like, I'll be grand, blah, 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 which is so unlike me. Normally I'm very like proactive with all this stuff. So anyway, what? I knew the minute I felt that pain, I was like, oh God, this is an ectopic. And she was like, yes. You know, I'm really sorry to say it's actually ectopic. Now, she said at the time, there is no fluid, there's no bleeding, but my brain just like shut down. It was literally like a wall just went whoop. And I was like, I'm just totally freaked out. Like started bawling, crying. Was like, what does that mean? Like what's happening? What, what, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, okay, right. Um, and I was like, I'm really sorry. I was like, I just, I'm like completely was just not here. So nurses, doctors, midwives, stenographers, you're all amazing because especially if you're working in that department, because I just flipped out and she was like, do you have anyone that you can call? And I was very, very lucky where I was down on Hollow Street and my husband was actually working in the gym up on Lisa Street. And it was just before lunchtime classes that he was about to take. I think he literally started the warm up and I was on to Mike, our friend who you know, runs the rosters and everything there on Slack. And I was like, is Craig there? And he was like, yes. And I was like, he needs to come down to Hollow Street like now. Um, and Mike stepped in. You're a champ. I love you. So Craig came down to me. They thankfully had a, a compassion room. I can't remember what it's called, but kind of a, a private room. So I could go in there and I waited for a little bit and then Craig came down pretty quickly afterwards. And having that space was incredible because, you know, I could talk to him and everything. And then we had to wait for the doctors. I had to go through the whole thing. And then I had the whole situation explained to me. So essentially I went and had methotroxate and methotroxate is a it's a non-surgical medical treatment of an ectopic pregnancy and it's from reading on the internet it is a folic acid and also from speaking to the doctors because i'm curious about all this stuff it's a folic acid um, antagonist so it basically removes or blocks or inhibits all of the folic acid that's in your body again if there's any medical people listening out there and you need to correct me please do feel free to but it's a folic acid antagonist so it stops the embryo developing further and then it also causes it to disintegrate. So it just means that for anyone who hasn't ruptured or needs a surgical intervention, you can get this drug and it is like a um, low intervention drug. Now, they say that. It's also a chemotherapy, um, which the doctor explained to me, she's like, it's like chemo. It is chemo. It's used as a chemotherapy. They give it to you. And I'm so glad I didn't see this. They give it to you um, through an injection in your glutes. Craig said it was ginormous. So we basically had to hang around for the doctor to come. They take my height, my weight, all this kind of stuff to make sure that the dose was right. And they just give you, give you a big old whack of it, whatever the amount is based on your, your weight and your height. And they were like, you'll be sore. You'll be tired. Take the week off. Now, this was all happening, I think, that day. Yeah, the Tuesday. That's why it was texted me or had messaged me on Slack to be like, hope you're excited for this evening. And I was like, oh, I'm pumped. Because I was due to start coaching in the gym again uh, for the summer. Was really looking forward to it. Just was kind of looking for, forward to that kind of, you know, the new space open on drum. And I was just really looking forward to kind of getting back. You know, it's all the people I used to work with. Like all, like a lot of my really, really close friends and family 
work and our members in the gym. So I was just, I was like, it's going to be great summer. I was going to have to crack. <laughs> so that happened. And they were, you know, needed coaches. And I was kind of stepping in and helping to fill a space. And then there was just this whole delay of me. But I was like eager to get back in because I wanted something to distract myself. I'll talk about this in the next episode, but that is something that I learned, have learned through kind of menstrual cycle awareness and through, I guess, kind of lots of internal work and therapy and all this sort of stuff that when I'm anxious or when things are happening or when I don't feel in control, I do. I do something, I plan something, I start coming up with an idea for something I kind of, you know, I, 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 I do. And I maybe don't always sit with how I'm feeling all the time. So that was what I wanted to do. And it's like, right, that happened. We're just going to compartmentalize that and move on. And I was like, I will grieve when I'm doing my cacao ceremonies and in my therapy sessions and in my like, my nice neatly boxed moments for grieving and feeling things. Like that was obviously not so consciously, but that's what my head was doing. It was like, right, that's going to be there. And then I'm going to have work over here and I'm going to be lovely and distracted. And then there's the battle for cancer charity event there. I'll do the competition. And I weirdly attached the battle for cancer thing. It was like, you know, the competition to raise charity is kind of like CrossFit, but not CrossFit. I was like, that's going to be, I've never competed in something like since I was, you know, playing sports. It's going to be my thing now that I'm, you know, I'm not pregnant and I get to do this and it's great. And then you've got an ectopic pregnancy and they're like, you can't do anything for a pretty long time. And they're like, the methotroxate is going to wreck you. They're like, you're going to feel tired for now. They were like, oh, it can be three days to a week to a blah. And there's lots of things that you can't do within that week. Can't take folic acid, you can't drink, you know, you can't um, do lots of stuff. And all of a sudden I was in this position where I couldn't see swim because your cervix is open, you're bleeding, there's a risk of infection. I couldn't work. Um, normally, sorry, I say normally. I don't know what normally happens, but I got the impression from talking, talking to the doctor the first time. They were like, yeah, you can go back to work in a week. Now, I hadn't actually explained what my work was as a coach, yoga teacher, a lot of physical movement, a lot of moving equipment around, demoing, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're on your feet all day. So I was like, right, next week I'll be back and we great. And got the medicine, went home and I was floored. Forget the everything else that's going on with my emotions, just physically, I felt like I had COVID times 10. Like my bones were so heavy. I had headaches and all this stuff. However, while I was doing all of this, like before the medicine kind of kicked in, I kind of disassociated. Like even if you go back to my Instagram, like, you know, that's when, now I lined up, but when the, um, by who edits and produces all of this for me was going on holidays. So I was like, yeah, let's just get it out. But I was like, you know, sending a message when I was in the hospital bed because like once once I got over the initial fear of it I totally disassociated and I was like okay I need to post someone into Instagram not because I feel I should but just because I feel like I need some sense of normal life because I was like I just need to have something because my whole routine and schedule just gone on out the window so I'm not working I'm not sea swimming I can't train I can't do yoga I didn't have the energy for walks. I think we walked around the corner to the local shop one day, the like second or third day after getting it. And I came back and napped. Like I slept a whole much. I was trying to read and just fall asleep on the couch. I'd watch something fall asleep on the couch. Absolutely exhausted. And my parents came home. They were in Spain. They came home. So I was out and they were looking after me. And then it was on the weekend. And again, I thought I was going to go back to work the following week. Little did I know, and I got to it, and I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this just even energy wise. I was like, oh, I can barely go for a walk around the block. 
physically again, not even talking about the emotional side of things, but like just physically, I was like, I don't think I can do it. And I was back in, did I go in for bloods over the weekend? Anyway, I ended up going in and I was like, look, this one I'm doing, I'm supposed to be going back. I was like, I've got another few days off work. What? And she was asking what I do and I explained. She was absolutely not. It's like, you still have a really high risk of rupture. So she was like, until your HCG comes down to a certain level, like you can't, you, you, you won't go back. So they wrote me, um, I can't remember, maybe it was three weeks. I'm kind of losing track of days now. It was definitely a while off work. So I was like, I was three or four weeks off doing any of the things that I would normally do from a self-care point of view. So I had reading, I had meditating and like little kind of cacao ceremonies and little things like that. And even with that, I was like, oh God, how much can I have? I don't really know. I, you know, I just don't have like half doses because I wasn't really sure. And like, you know, I was like, what telling can't I take with regards to to supplements? And, you know, there's magnesium in this, vasculator, what's the issue or teas? And, you know, you start kind of like double guessing everything. So all of my kind of care strategies were like gone. Was completely gone, and um, so I'll talk a little bit out in the next episode about what that was for me. But it was just a, it was a much more protracted experience than I planned. Um, can even listen to me plan for it to be. You can't plan for any of this, but you know, my head went straight into like, okay, we're going to cope, coping mechanisms. We're going to plan and put things and have a, a set expectation of where we're going to be back to quote unquote normal. And that's not how it works in any way, shape or form, both physically, emotionally, mentally. And what I was struck the most with was firstly made me incredibly grateful that nothing more serious happened and that what could have been a very serious medical emergency was not. And still incredibly scary, still pretty devastating with regards to to the the recovery and stuff like that. But you know. I was, I was just very lucky that I wasn't hemorrhaging. I didn't have to go for emergency surgery. You know, there's, I know there's a lot of people out there who that hasn't been their experience. Um, so I feel very lucky in, in that respect. Obviously devastating as well with regards to, to how you're feeling. Um, but it made me realize how important support networks are. Um, I was incredibly lucky to have a lot of people in my life who I could talk to about. So my parents, my friends, I decided, well, firstly, I'm doing a podcast about it, so obviously I'm being very open about it, but I just decided I was going to be open about it. And when I felt ready, I did that Instagram post because I was like, I am getting a lot from sharing and from talking to people who maybe have had experience with ectopic pregnancy or have had experience with pregnancy release, with abortion, with miscarriage, you know, with with kind of any sort of pregnancy loss or pregnancy release. And... Because it's incredibly difficult to know. Like I would empathize with that before I've had that experience, this experience. But until now, I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't fully grasp the level of the grief that you feel and the range of emotions that you feel and how when it comes to things like this, you there is no set, take these boxes and you'll feel great again. Like it's incredibly individual experience. It's incredibly individual healing journey, both physically, emotionally, very individual experience when it comes to support networks. As I mentioned, the my support network was incredibly important to me and still is incredibly important to me. Um, and for me, I had my husband, I had my partner who could be there with me, which made a huge, huge difference. But 
the reason I wanted to talk about all of these things in a more public setting and we're posting that on Instagram and talking about it in this episode is to go through all of those signs and symptoms and to go through when, what to look out for and what to be mindful of and, you know, maybe if I was ever to go through it again and you know, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about the, the, the risk factors that were listed in the, the HSE, but one of them is a ectopic pregnancy. So when I was asking about, okay, what's the process now for us trying to conceive or go forward, firstly, with the methotrexate, it stays in your system for three months. So I was told that, right, you know, three months from when you got it, you go through GP and you get a really, really high level prescription for folic acid. And that will bring up your folic acid levels because if you can see within that window, you don't have enough folic acid in your system. That it's not going to be, you know, healthy or viable pregnancy. This is a, it's very important that you, you know, use protection or you abstain or, you know, that you're, you aren't actively trying during, during that time. So that obviously threw a spanner in my breath again with this quote unquote plan that I had in my head. Because I was like, right, we'll just go back and we'll try. In one way, maybe I'm like, it's maybe not a bad thing, but I have to wait because it allows me to really just sit with what's happened and experience it. And what I was also asking about, you know, does that put me at risk for my future pregnancies? I had wanted to go through kind of a midwife-led, home-birth-led approach where possible. And that, for me, I was nervous about whether that was going to have an impact on that or not. And I was just told that, it, you know, I'm going to be at a slightly higher risk, maybe for an ectopic, but once I get my early scan done, so that actually gave me an early scan next time. And once I get that done and it's confirmed that it's where it's meant to be, then I'm just considered a normal pregnancy. So the things that can put you at an increased risk of ectopic pregnancy, as I mentioned, the previous ectopic pregnancy, any surgery on the fallopian tube or any maybe damage to the tube through things like PID, so pelvic inflammatory disease, also smoking and um, fertility treatments like IVF, but also the ISCI, the, um, the sperm injection, and becoming pregnant while using certain contraceptions like the, the coil. I suppose the age is one as well. I'm not sure why that is, but it says, according to the HSE, that if you're over 40 years old, there's a there's a higher risk of, of that, of an ectopic pregnancy as well. So really this first episode, I just wanted to highlight what those symptoms are, I guess, to normalize the conversation around it and around pregnancy loss, pregnancy release, ectopic pregnancies, and to know the symptoms. So if there's any pain, as I mentioned before, especially down one side, pain when you go into the bathroom, either urinating or if you are defecating, any upset stomach, any bleeding as well. Obviously the constant pain in the tip of your shoulder, which is one that I think a lot of us are more familiar with, but you could have some of these, all of these, none of these. And so it's just one of those things that if you are having symptoms that are falling within that category, do just get them checked out and then obviously go straight away to the emergency department if you're feeling any sudden severe pain any sharp pain in your tummy and pointing to my right side because it was flat on my right side but it can be anywhere and um, or if you're feeling any very dizzy 
like you're going to collapse and um, if you're feeling very unwell or pale something family any of those it's really important that you you go and get that looked at in the emergency department in your either local maternity hospital or your local emergency department um so yeah so that's i guess just an overview of what it is how i experienced it and everyone's journey is going to be different and um, but just how i have kind of gone through the last few weeks and then we'll talk about in the next episode I guess what I have found really useful from a support system and from a framework point of view when it comes to this because as I mentioned a lot of what I would default to I was unable to use as tools during this whole process so how I found it and how I am still going through and trying to manage manage all of this so yeah that was obviously incredibly um, exposing and I feel a little bit vulnerable after sharing this but yeah I think it's I think the more we all talk about these sort of topics and these experiences it allows other people to talk about it and I hope that maybe someone who is listening to this gets some help or maybe might know what to look for if they maybe are experiencing one in the future so yeah thank you so so much for listening and um, stay tuned for part two if you'd like to hear more Thanks, everyone.